Well, hello and welcome to uh, Plane Talking UK, episode 467. My name's Nev, and in this week's show, buckle up for takeoff as we soar through Gatwick's runway expansion, uh, London Stansted's record rebound, and zero dollar airfares down under. We'll also touch down at Bournemouth's growing aviation museum, dodge bears in Dubai's cargo hold, and see what's afoot with Virgin Atlantic's wary pilots. Uh, it's a first-class ticket to the latest in aviation. In the military, we're exploring gold standards and grounded F-35s whilst powering up for the future with the B-21 radar. Uh, radar. We've also got a couple of features of the um, visio videos that we took at the National Museum of Flight. Um, we've also got uh, some fantastic stuffs going on in this week's show. So strap in and hold on to your in-flight peanuts. It's going to be a turbulent ride. It's fancy. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so joining me this week uh, is Matt in the PTUK Master Suite studio because we're a bit bit short of staff this week. There's only the two of us doing it. Indeed, absolutely. And we should just say that uh, this is being recorded on the Tuesday night because unfortunately uh, everybody's busy on Friday, basically. So that's why you, you've got me and Nev. We thought we'd make sure we put something together. And our thanks to John, obviously, who's put together uh, a show for us. At very short notice, I think it's safe to say. Yeah. Uh, but loads of great content and stuff. You can tell he wrote the intro can't you <laughs> yes which is why i was slightly hesitant yeah. I thought, he doesn't want to do that so. no no indeed yes he's a frightened sort of, yeah i don't think he'd ever intentionally throw us under a bus but <laughs> no exactly oh one thing i forgot to mention of course we've got the results of last week's competition as well oh, yes. so um i should be giving the results of that out mm. at the end of the show Ooh, what book are we giving away again uh, we've got uh, the Milestones of Flight, which Ooh. is from the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum, which is a very good Love visit, that. I have to say. Uh, this is one from my own personal collection. Uh, so I've dusted it off and I shall put it in, in an envelope um, for someone to win. Oh, that's uh, a shame. Oh, that's a shame. As I say, I, I thought somebody was going to, you know, it came with free dust. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I've actually, you know, made it oh, very good. palatable. Yes. <laughs> I'm very, very um, impressed. So there we are. Indeed. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's you've you, we sort of touched on it, didn't we, last week, uh, I, I suppose. But you, you've had quite a busy old week this week oh, already. Wait. It's only Tuesday and you've already broken your car. I know. Yes. <laughs> now, I've done lots of driving this week. Uh, went Started off uh, Monday, went to Bristol, uh, followed by Clanethley. So that's right on Bless the... You. Almost yeah. as far as the end of the United Kingdom you can go yes. on the M4. Then I went up to Manchester airport then to stockport and then back to home so you know 500 odd miles worth of driving <laughs> unfortunately i couldn't work out why my front uh, tire was not holding any pressure and the garage informed me today that it's because i've got a bent wheel oh, and a no. crack in it as well so the that... trouble with these alloy wheels you know they're they're not very good when it comes to potholes and the low profile tires and wheels and what have you so that's another few hundred quid i shall have to find uh later this week when they fix it. No, so. never rains but it pours does it really well it's one yeah. nice thing yeah. but thank goodness it didn't give way uh, no. as i was doing 69 miles an hour on the motorway <clears throat> right okay 69.5 yes. yeah okay yeah. fair enough yeah, yeah. oh wow exactly. yeah well, well hopefully as uh, 
as I say, so uh, well, you, you've still got. I mean, it's only Tuesday yet. I mean, uh, you've got to take. How, how are you getting well, to work tomorrow? Well, I'm borrowing Mrs. Nev's uh, Fiesta. Oh. Going to give that a run down to Brighton, I think, and because um, it needs it, because it doesn't get out very much. No, <laughs> no. Bless. How, so, how, how is yeah. Sue, by the way? How's she doing? Much better, actually. Yes, she's uh, on the mend with her arm, so that that's good. So, mm. but she's off work for another five and a half weeks, basically. Yeah. So. I'll tell you what, because we had a little chat before we started this with mm. with with uh, the lovely Sue, and I tell you what, I'd, I want to make sure you you stay on her good side for a little while. I think. Oh yes, uh, that, yeah, the, that, that the contraption quite... on the end of her hand is 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 <laughs> is quite the weapon. Yeah, I would definitely come off second best. Very much so, yes. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Oh, well, there we go. Uh, I I moved into my office today. Oh, good, okay. Yeah, I know. So the new job, I've been moved into into my little office and I I got to sit in it for a whole 10 minutes before I had to come home. Uh, So so it's a good start, but uh, yeah, looking forward to getting stuck in uh, with that one. Uh, Speaking of getting stuck in... I think we should, don't you? Yeah, I reckon so. All right, let's go with the commercial stuff then. Here we go. Well, here we go with quite a big story, actually, all about uh, Gatwick Airport's expansion. It's on the travelweekly.co.uk, Aviation Source News, uh, New Civil Engineer and Gatwick Airport's uh, website themselves. Uh, Finally, Gatwick's plans to expand by bringing its existing northern runway into use alongside its main runway has been accepted for detailed examination by the Planning Inspectorate. The planning application or development consent order submitted on July the 6th sets out plans to make best use of Gatwick's existing infrastructure to unlock new capacity and to improve the airport's resilience. Crucially, the plans would allow Gatwick to grow from handling about 47 million passengers uh, a year, as it did in 2019, to 75 million by the 2030s. Uh, Gatwick served 32.8 million passengers in 2022, compared to the 61.6 million passengers served by Heathrow last year. Uh, the northern runway, of course, is only used as a taxiway, but uh, according to the uh, new civil engineer, the 2.2 billion plan involves repositioning of the northern runway, so 12 metres further north, and reconfiguration of the taxiways, expansion of the terminal buildings, a new pier, and amendments to aircraft stands, uh, other airport facilities, including a waste facility, a new hangar, and a new fire training grounds, uh, new office space and hotel rooms, an additional 18,500 car parking spaces, road improvement works and environmental and mitigation measures. Uh, The planning inspectorate's acceptance of the application means it satisfies the airport consultation was conducted properly and the application can progress to the examination phase. Uh, This will probably uh, involve with uh, various public hearings and can take up to 18 months. But uh, this is long overdue. Uh, this whole thing and oh. I, I've I've never worked out why they've had what they call a main runway and a standby emergency runway which cannot <laughs> be used at the same time 
I suspect it's restrictions <laughs> and all that kind of thing. Is uh, do you know yeah. what I reckon it is? It's more because they were nervous about things like noise. I reckon. Uh, well, there is a bit of that. Of course, the the emergency runway is not as wide as the main runway either. That's okay. the other thing. So uh, when they use that, uh, it's it's quite a different picture mm. for the pilots. I would say. But um, do you do you think they'll make it? Do you think they'll make it wider though, so that it's suitable for all? Oh, aircraft, I, I'm, or? I think. Uh, my impression is that they are going to do that. Yes, they are yeah. going to also make it slightly further apart from the other one, so they can yeah, use indeed uh, use it both together. But that's that's the way to expand it without you know having to dig up more uh, things in other parts of the country. But uh, yeah, it's it's a, one of the busiest single runway operations uh, mm. in the world, actually, not mm. not just the UK or Europe. But uh, but so it, hopefully that will um, it will lead to improved um, facilities for everybody yeah. and also better. Um, timings for aircraft as well and and i guess i mean there will obviously be objections that i mean that that that's a given isn't it really but i yeah. do feel like where there is concern over capacity uh, at the london airports and when i say the london airports i mean stansted heathrow and gatwick for me though those mm. are the the main ones i know there's luton and all that kind of thing but they're a bit far away for, for me in my honest opinion um yeah. but th this does seem like the sensible way forward when most of the work is already in place do you know what i mean it seems like you know if we're concerned about environmental impacts and all that kind of things it seems it seems to make sense to to sort of re you know deal with the one that's pretty much already there other than probably updating landing lights and all that kind of thing um i mean i guess depending on how narrow it is i mean could could they not do a slightly unusual thing where perhaps it was like the seven threes and and the smaller ones come in on that one leaving capacity for the yeah, larger ones i mean or is that just too complicated is, yeah and i think that's the, the thing isn't it with, with mm. the, the smaller aircraft and, and the medium you know the short to medium haul stuff yeah. that could well use the uh what is now the standby runway yeah. uh, leaving the existing runway to use the bigger stuff the triple sevens mm. three eighties and seven eight sevens what have you so you, you mm. never know but uh, this is the first time in a long time it's actually made some progress but that's not to say it's ever going to be built but at least we've got no. some no. Some Ford emotion. We've got the first rubber stamp, if you will, on it. Yes. And uh, yeah, now yeah. we're talking. We're talking about ca capacity with London airports. And uh, while we have that in mind, we'll move on to our next story, if that's okay, Nev. Mm, uh, yeah. We've got uh, the headline on this uh, from various sources, I should say, cityammediacenter.stanstedairport.com, uh, travelradar.aero, airportindustrynews.com, and um, uh, again, stanstedairport.com. Uh, and we're talking about. Uh, that, that airport, Stansted Airport, reaching pre-pandemic passenger numbers. Uh, the uh, London Stansted has become the first major UK airport to achieve above pre-COVID passenger numbers in any single month since before the pandemic, with this July being the third busiest in its history. According to figures shared with City AM, total passenger numbers for the period hit 2 million, uh, 2.81 million, which is 102% of the volumes it served in July 2019. The Independent first reported that the airport handled an average of 90,322 passengers per day last month, up from 88,709 in 2022, and only pipped by August in the two years prior to the pandemic in 2018 and 2019. The busiest day of the month for Stansted was Monday the 31st with 96,500 passengers using the airport. This was also the busiest day
day of the year to date, according to the airport. Spain, Italy and Turkey were the most popular destinations for holidaymakers, with Brits flocking to Dublin, Istanbul and Palma de Mallorca, Stansons' three most popular city destinations in July. Last month, London Stansons announced its intention to submit a planning application for an extension to the airport's existing terminal building, which, if approved, will see a three-bay extension to the back of the terminal building. It'll provide a more spacious departure lounge for passengers, including new shops, bars and restaurants, state-of-the-art check-in equipment, increased baggage system capacity and an enlarged security hall <coughs> Excuse me, sorry, with additional space for more security lanes fitted in the next generate with next generation scanners now this is not really much of a surprise is it um mm, yeah. I, I think i mean, I, I, and i i think in the coming months because i mean they've been saying it's going to be uh, you know a bumper summer uh, for all of the airports not just the london ones and i think genuinely uh, probably next month we'll see similar reports from both gatwick and heathrow I yeah think. i think you're right and certainly 2023 feels like it's the first proper year uh, post pandemic i mean obviously last year there 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 was flying going on and what have you but this is the proper first proper sort of holiday yeah. season type of year i would say indeed um and this is why you know the airports are running out of capacity you know they just they just need more of everything indeed well i think some of it is of course because it was um you know people like me for example have to spend a long time saving up for their summer holiday as you say and i guess people weren't doing that because they didn't know you know you know we we didn't know obviously when the pandemic was going to come to an end so you know and, and some people do easily spend a whole year don't they sort of saving for their annual summer holiday and it's a, it's a big moment isn't it you know no, no two ways about it and and it starts uh, usually in the bar uh, at the airport <laughs> at six o'clock in the morning quite absolutely which i think uh, carlos and i may be trying out at some point we're, we're we're getting some plans together to uh, take a, a low-cost carrier flight um early in the morning somewhere right uh, where we'll be visiting the bar uh, okay and, and doing things that <laughs> you know i would not normally do right uh, okay to sort of get so, the full ryanair experience is that yes. essentially what it is to sort of get you yeah okay uh right okay. sorry that's not fair i should say low cost uh rather than yes. rather than naming one particular yes. airline but you know what i mean it's mm. uh, you know easyjet yeah. and jet 2 do also exist and also can be used for irresponsible flight uh, uh, and with air too of course yeah i'm gonna mention yeah. them all absolutely yeah, yeah. ticking all the boxes mm. uh right I mean, is Carlos coming coming along with you to like hold your hand? Yes, he's, he's going to guide me through <laughs> uh, everything, and I'm going to ask ridiculous questions like, "Where's the Ryanair lounge? Right, okay. Uh, why is someone sitting in sitting in seat one A? Lovely, should be in there. Yeah, of but course, those sort of things. And we'll see how we get on with that. Uh, um, I mean, the, the the for me, Nev, and I'm going to put this out there. I don't think you're going to like what I'm about to say, but I feel personally for the full low-cost airline experience brace yourself i think you should go from luton <laughs> well it was either going to be stansted or luton probably but okay. yeah luton yeah. i think probably yeah. does um top it if, if that's the right <laughs> expression um but uh, yeah i would it's... i would love to see i would love to get get a full gauge of your experience at luton airport <laughs> well i think that there could be a, a nevin carlos passenger experience sounds very exciting up before yeah. the end of the year oh, i can't uh, wait we'll, i can't we'll, wait maybe we should we'll save see. it for the christmas show i think it'll be quite yeah, my, something quite idea, special <laughs> 
that's a good idea. Indeed, I think so. Indeed. Yeah. Oh well. Anyway, yeah, before I, either of us gets sued. <laughs> yeah, well, because I, I would much prefer to have my own private terminal. Absolutely. And, and this sort of thing. But actually, according to CNN.com, that may be possible uh, in to, in the world's busiest airport in September. Oh. So imagine being able to take off from a major U.S. Mm. international airport on a commercial flight without stepping foot inside a clamorous, crowded, and cavernous terminal. Uh, if you have enough coin, you don't have to imagine it. You'll actually be able to live it, at least at two large and frequently crowded US airports. A new private luxury terminal for people taking commercial flights is scheduled to open on September the 6th at Hartsfield Jackson Atlanta International Airport, according to operator PS in a news release. It's the second one under the PS umbrella with a similar private terminal having been opened at LAX in Los Angeles since 2017. Found internationally in places such as Dubai, Frankfurt and London's Heathrow, the private VIP terminal concept is getting established in the US as well. PS aims to add a terminal at Dallas-Fort Worth in spring 2024 and Miami International Airport in 2025. Uh, they say in the news release that amongst the perks for departures is a private TSA screening free of queues along with on-site customs and immigration processing at the terminal. A PS host takes care of all of your luggage and when it's time to head to the aircraft you're escorted to a private driver in a BMW. I'm not sure about that bit. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you were plane. up for it up until then weren't you? Yeah, I was, that's just... <laughs> Taking the edge off it now for me, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Okay, right. Uh, but, to, and, but to board the plane straight from the tarmac, you can choose to be in the first group or the last group to board the plane. Well, I don't think there's any question about where I would be there. <laughs> uh, but whilst you're waiting at the terminal, it's all about luxury, whether you book time in the salon lounge for a more social experience or a private suite which features an entertainment centre, fully stocked snack and beverage bar, and an ensuite bathroom. In its FAQ section of its website, PS says that each suite hosts up to six people comfortably and can be customised to better entertain children or pets. Uh, they also said that guests can enjoy an extensive menu of cocktails and chef prepared meals as well as spa and beauty offering, offerings such as massages, manicure and barber services. Reservations are already being accepted for PS Atlanta and uh, annual memberships are optional. Uh, with those your price for services is lower but customers can also buy one-time packages without an annual membership. Packages can be bought for either one-way or round-trip services. So if you want to check out the concept, the lowest cost option is $1,095 for a one-time use without any membership of the salon. Uh, if you want to max out the experience, that will cost you $4,850 for the all-access membership package for a year. Okay, uh, now, so I, I misread this whole thing because I assumed it was going to be free. Uh, right, uh, clearly not. <laughs> clearly not. Uh, now, okay, uh, so I've got a hit. Going back to what we were talking about, you know, where you and Carlos are going to do the whole full low cost experience. I've got a crazy idea. Why don't either me and Armando or me and Nick uh, go and experience it from the other side? <laughs> you know, okay. those, those of us who have had the terrible misfortune of essentially spending our entire life in low cost. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it's... that's only fair and reasonable. We, we'll have to raid the uh, yes. uh, Peter UK funds a little bit Indeed. To, to do that. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, that may um, be a bit of a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, 
so uh, yeah it says you're escorted by a private driver in a bmw yes as if that's a good thing <laughs> I mean, the, on, on the I mean, the one thing I guess you don't have to worry about on on you know private land is is the fact that none of the indicators work on BMWs. That's true. Yeah. So that won't be an issue, yeah. obviously. Um, and they're very good at flashing their headlights at people, so people. Well, they have a big uh, orange yeah. flashing light on the roof, won't they? Oh, oh of course, yes. Going. If they're going to be on yeah, the tarmac, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that'll that'll spoil the aesthetics, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh yes. dear. Oh well, we're always talking about um, how important it is to preserve aviation heritage. Absolutely. And I'm very pleased to say that uh, the Bournemouth Aviation Museum is going to expand its aircraft display area. Oh, wow. Uh, this is on uh, bournemouthecho.co.uk. Uh, their museum off Parley Lane has had a planning apl application granted to expand its outdoor display area. The current area is set to expand into a section of land being used for shared car parking with Adventure Wonderland, seeing it grow in size by around 25%. The changes do not involve the construction of any permanent buildings and structures but only new fencing to create the new and larger area. When proposing the scheme the museum used two aerial photographs of the site 12 years apart to highlight how its aircraft numbers has increased. Bournemouth Aviation Museum said the outdoor aircraft display had been getting cramped as a result. It also said that the expansion is not intended to attract large numbers of new visitors, only to give existing visitors more space when exploring the site and to allow for exhibitions and aircraft to be moved around more freely. A planning application, a planning report uh, published on the scheme said the proposals for the site are considered to enhance the existing museum, which is recognised as an important tourist attraction within the local area. It is uh, considered that the socio-economic benefits of the proposal will outweigh the limited impact on the openness of the Greenbelt and the proposal will not result in any harm to uh, highway safety. Well, that's good, isn't it? It's good to see some uh, sensible stuff going mm. on with planning and, and what have you. And, I've, you know, I've never been to that museum. But no. One of my friends has uh, quite a bit, though, that used to live down there, so I'm, I must try and find a way of getting down yeah. there. So, this photo is fascinating, isn't it? So they've, they've, what they've done here, so just to describe it for those who are listening, and uh, I'll try and make sure that this particular link, we're having a problem with our show notes at the moment, but I will try and get uh, this um, this uh, link to this photo in here. So it's basically a picture of, from Google Earth, one from 2009 and one from 2021. And uh, Nev, I mean, it's quite a dramatic difference, isn't it, in terms of oh, the yeah. of buildings as well. And, and, you know, it's really expanded, as you say, loads they are they are pretty much out of space aren't they i mean they can't they they haven't got room for any more exhibits i would i would say well just thinking about what they were saying about moving the aircraft around as well mm. so if they need to want to change the displays or the lineups yeah. that's quite difficult to do with the limited space they've got so, absolutely yeah that's no, great news really pleased to hear about that so um, Indeed. yeah if it's uh if it's near your part of the country definitely worth a trip down there i must say i, I will try and do that at some point myself. Indeed. Indeed. So, yeah. Uh, okay, we'll move on to the next story then, if I may, and yeah. it's from AINonline.com, and the headline is Three Dead in California Firefighting Helicopter. Uh, is it midair? 
or midair, yes. or it's, it's yeah. Oh, in oh midair. Oh blimey. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the NTSB is investigating after two California firefighting helicopters collided in midair after uh, last evening, just before sunset. Uh, so this would have been Monday, uh, by the look of this. Uh, the aircraft, a 1975 Sikorsky S64E aircrane and a 2004 Bell 407, were responding to the Broadway fire in Cabo. Cabazon, 17 miles northwest of Palm Springs. The, the 407 was being operated by Aero Leasing of Metford, Oregon, on behalf of the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. The three abroad that aircraft died and the wreckage ignited another small brush fire. Also under contract to Cal Fire, and operated by Scylla Helicopters of Yuba City, the, or Uber City, I should say, uh, California, the uh, S-64E made a hard landing and all three on board survived. The, air, the accident was reported shortly before 7.20pm local time. Uh, sunset was at 7.42pm. While engaged in the firefight, two helicopters collided, said Cal Fire Southern Region Chief uh, David Fulger. Uh, Fulcher, sorry. He identified the dead as the contract pilot, a Cal Fire Division chief and a Cal Fire captain. The aircraft took off from Hemet Ryan Airport within minutes of each other shortly after 6.30pm. The last tracking from FlightAware at 6.45pm showed both aircraft near Banning Municipal Airport, approximately six miles from Cabazon. Uh, the uh, 407 was on a heading of 111 degrees, an altitude of 2,375 feet, descending at 9 24 feet per minute and at an airspeed of 120 knots. The S64 was on a heading of 80 degrees, an altitude of 2,500 feet and descending at 632 feet per minute at an airspeed of 113 knots. Uh, field elevation at KBNG is 2,222 feet MSL. What does that mean? Mean sea level. Okay, thank you. Uh, the accident occurred just south of the I-10 freeway near uh, Mon Mon Morongo Casino Resort, four miles east of Banning. According to officials, the fire began at 6pm when a structure fire ignited nearby grasslands, quickly grew to 20 acres and began threatening residences in the area. Cal Fire immediately called for aerial support as part of its strategy to attack fires in their in various stages oh dear awful That's story isn't it really really i is. think the thing is with, with firefighting aircraft whether it's fixed wing or, or rotary like this it's a dangerous thing isn't it, it is. and the risk of, of either collision or the risk of losing control of the aircraft or whatever it, it might mm -hmm. be is is very real isn't it and uh no absolutely shocking very very unfortunate well, you've got a lot of smoke and things like that as well, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure, you know, obviously it'll all come out in the report there, but there, I mean, there are so many factors. I mean, they really are 
risking their lives, aren't they, when they do something like this? Yeah, and one thing that struck me as well, that it says that the accident was reported just before 7.20 in the evening mm. uh, local time and the sunset was uh, 20 to 8, or just after 20 to 8. So, yeah. again, it's that sort of difficult light as well. Yeah, uh, indeed, but, indeed. Uh, yeah, very, very tragic. And really. it's very sad, isn't it? We've had a bit of a run lately, haven't we, of, of various, you know, various planes and, and helicopters that have been dealing with, you know, grass fires or bushfires. Mm. Uh, and things like that it's just um you know you, you sort of forget that flying is potentially especially in these environments is extremely dangerous yeah when you're flying these sorts of missions i i wouldn't know the first thing about it but no. I, I would imagine that um it's you know it's a very tense situation and you're there to do a job you're trying to extinguish the fires and all the rest of it and and also fly the thing at the same time yeah. i mean you know obviously there was Absolutely. more than one crew member on board but nonetheless it's mm. uh, it's a highly risky business, but Absolutely. it's the only method they've got of, of, you know, trying to put these fires out, isn't yeah, it? Indeed. Uh, so, so, I mean, our hearts go out to everybody who's been affected by um, by what's happened here, really. Yeah. Mm. The other thing we talk about a lot on the podcast is pilot fatigue. Mm. And uh, just this week, this, it's really been emphasised uh, with uh, Virgin Atlantic. There's a whole load of sources for this story. Uh, aviation sources, uh, sourcenews.com, bbc.com, aerotime.aero, lbc.co.uk and aviationweek.com. Um, the union, BALPA, said that in a recent vote that 96% of Virgin Atlantic pilots supported a ballot on industrial action. Uh, at issue are scheduling and rostering arrangements that were put in place during the COVID uh, time, which will come to an end in December. Mm. Virgin said it was willing to enter into talks in the coming weeks. They employ 835 pilots. I didn't know it was that. that wow, it's a big that number, many. isn't it? Uh, and it's believed to be the majority are members of the BALPA Pilots Union. A spokesman for BALPA said, Our members have registered a trade dispute with Virgin Atlantic arising out of serious concerns relating to pilot fatigue and well-being around scheduling and rostering arrangements implemented due, during the COVID-19 pandemic. It said that 81% of its Virgin Atlantic Union members voted in the ballot, which it said gave BALPA an overwhelming mandate to pursue this dispute. The maximum flying time for a commercial pilot is 900 hours per Canada year, according to the CVA, uh, CAA, and it's understood that the rostering average for Virgin Atlantic pilots is around 750 hours. A spokesman for the airline said that the health, safety and security of our people and customers is our number one priority. We operate a comprehensive data-driven fatigue risk management system with regulatory oversight operating well above industry standards. We carefully analyze and manage working and fatigue, and fatigue levels to ensure that the well-being of our pilots and the safety of our operation at all times. Our pilots only fly when they are fit to fly. It is their duty as well as ours. Virgin Atlantic is one of the safest airlines in the industry and we will defend our reputation fiercely. We are ready to commence pay and lifestyle discussions now with our pilot union representatives on the topics that are important to all of us. Now, I think the thing is, of course, Virgin, without exception, I would say, fly at least high, medium or long haul mm. routes. Yeah, very, and, very little short haul. You know, there's no, there's no real short haul operation at mm. all with Virgin Atlantic. Um, and of course, the guys and girls are going across multiple time zones. Um, but of course, back in the day, you know, talking to some pilots that, that we both know, 
if you were doing a New York route, it would maybe, you know, two days down route, mm. maybe two and a half, three days. Nowadays, the crews are on minimum rest and they get, you know, 24 hours off yeah. and then they're back on the uh, on the red eye flight for the next day. Mm. And then they've got to drive home. And in the case of, you know, many people, that's more than an hour's drive home. It is, yeah. When you've just done that flight, uh, maybe some challenging weather conditions coming back into Heathrow, for example. You, you know, you've left New York, it's absolutely wonderful. And you've got a Cat 3 approach or a go around or yeah. windy conditions back at Heathrow. And, you know, that, that is challenging and it must take it out of you. Mm. Uh, certainly with the circadian rhythm. Uh, that you know yeah. that your body works I, with. So I, I'm going to be interested to see how, how this is resolved because um, the, the only way I can see it being resolved is mm. more time off. Um, so one of the between flights, I would have thought. Indeed, absolutely. Yeah, go back to what it was. You know, whether it was perhaps two or three days that you spent. For example, if you were doing Heathrow to to New York, you'd have two or three days in New York, if you like, so that you can properly rest. And then you, you know, because it's one leg, then isn't it? Essentially, yeah. if you've had enough time to rest in between, it's one leg uh, to get you back. Now, one thing that has always surprised me with this, and I've never really quite understood. So, uh, my dad and also a very good friend of mine both worked offshore and they were always because of you know the the time and everything all involved i mean okay admittedly they're only going the north sea out to the north sea and all that kind of thing but even if you lived near the airport for example um you still used to be driven you would be picked up by either a taxi or some other arrangement and taken to Norwich Airport in this particular case or there used to be a helipad at Yarmouth um, you were never expected to drive in to work if you see what I mean for mm. that flight um, you know I, I must admit I've always been very surprised and like like um, like breakfast radio DJs in in the industry as an example you are never expected to drive yourself into work there's always a car that comes and picks you up and then sort of takes you home and all that kind of thing purely because you are flying at a silly time of the day or you are you are on the radio at a silly time of the day because they're concerned you know if you like the employer is concerned that you might be very tired driving into work and more especially very tired driving home and i'm very amazed if you like that in an industry that is so reliant on safety that that's not commonplace if you like for the pilots and that kind of thing does that make sense yeah completely and i can think you know if i've just done a transatlantic flight coming back mm. especially from the west coast from portland where our company hq yes. is I mean, that, that's you know it's an eight hour uh, flight yeah. or so coming back eight and a half hours then you wait for your luggage and it's you know early-ish in the morning maybe seven or eight o'clock mm. in the morning depending on what time of uh, flight i've got yeah then i've got a 45 50 minute drive home probably in the rush hour mm. When I get home, you know, I, I can barely remember half yeah. of the journey. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. And, and that is an all, issue. And that's all me just eating steak and drinking red wine. I've yeah. not got to break the flight, you know. So Indeed. I, I, for the, from a crew point of view, mm. um, I, I don't know how these guys and girls do it. I, yeah. I really don't. Well, you know, I mean, I, you know, my best friend works um, for a uh, a big company as cabin crew, um, and like especially it very, and it very much depends on which direction they're working. Um, but if they're going the wrong way, if you like, in terms of like time zones and all that kind of thing, uh, it it must take days 
to mm. get back to some kind of norm normality. And like again, in this scenario, they are literally resting for, you know, two days tops. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's quite often literally a twenty-four hour period um, you know, that they are that they are merely on the ground for to to, to like try and get some kind of rest. You know, yes, your I mean, your friend goes across several continents in one absolutely. go. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and, and then you know, um, as you say, on the minimum rest basis, that then yeah. operates the flight back or or yeah. to somewhere else afterwards. You know, um, and and yeah. it absolutely wipes them out. Yeah, you know, and yeah. now you, and there's no you, doubt about. Don't about you, but as one gets a bit older, uh -huh. I can say that because I'm <laughs> older than you. Um, it does take it out of you more. Absolutely, you know? yeah, uh, yeah. Twenty years yeah. ago, I never felt the, the jet lag like I do now. Um, even though I only fly transatlantic yeah. probably once or twice a year, mm. whereas you know the crews are doing it, you know, all the time. What well, what scares me is is I mean they're they're very young. Yeah. <laughs> by yours and my standards and you know and it, and it is a, a serious issue i mean i I've, I've said this always to pilots and cabin crew i you know i doff my cap to to everybody that that, that is involved in looking after us when we're in the air because mm. it's not the glamorous lifestyle that everybody thinks it is i mean don't i mean there are some perks you get to go to some amazing places and when you are there for 24 hours there you know you can still you know you probably shouldn't but there are some amazing places you can go and visit while you're there. I think I would say that if the airlines chose to hike the ticket price up a little mm -hmm. to enable the crews to have more time off down route. And, yeah. for, and I know that with the aircraft on the ground, it's not earning money. I, mm. I understand that. Yeah, yeah. But I think most people would be prepared to pay a little bit more if that meant that the crews could have a bit more time off down route, uh, especially on those longer legs, especially where you've got, you know, eight hour time yeah. zone differences and, and, and this kind of thing. Um, uh, but uh, perhaps though, Nev, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, you and I are perhaps a bit more sensible and would be willing to pay a little bit more. <laughs> mm. yeah. I, I think there are some people who are literally only looking for the cheapest flight and I don't blame them at all. Um, you know, that's absolutely what I shall be doing uh, with my trip next September. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's a tough gig, isn't it? It's a tough gig. So I completely understand yeah. going back to the story why um, people like Balper and stuff are, are sort of, you know, sort of like balloting members and and that kind of thing. I, I completely get why they're, you know, sort of, uh, you know, frustrated by it, I guess. I think also because, as the article says, you know, the terms conditions are still operating on the basis of, of the COVID-19 restrictions yeah. as well. So I think there needs to be some renewal and update of that uh, and a good hard look at, uh, at pilot fatigue uh, and, and cabin crew fatigue as well. Obviously, Absolutely. This, is a, this is a pilot dispute, mm. but, uh, you know, the boys and girls in the back. It's the same story for them. Indeed, yeah. indeed. And of course, we're talking about, you know, we're talking here like Stansted, it's passenger level numbers are now at pre-pandemic levels. As I mentioned earlier, I have no doubt we're going to hear similar stories from both Heathrow and Gatwick. Um, you know, so the numbers are there to warrant mm. sort of, you know, no longer being in this sort of pandemic sort of you know minimum crew rest thing but then perhaps again some of the problem here is that they are desperately short still of pilots and cabin crew so perhaps one of the reasons why they are on minimum crew rest is perhaps in defense of the airlines because they don't have enough staff to go around yet 
I think that's very uh, astute and I think that's a very good point as well because we know there is this uh, mm. pilot shortage again coming up with, with folks retiring. Um, and yeah, yeah they, they just need, you know, um, bums yeah. on the seat, don't they? So, so we go back to what we were talking about last week is perhaps if they made it more accessible, you know, being becoming a pilot more accessible, um, you know, male, female, you know, across the board, if the you know, if the airlines help people get their licenses, mm. you know, perhaps we can see those numbers come down. I think Virgin make a good point in in that article when mm -hmm. they say, you know, if if you don't feel fit to fly because of fatigue, yeah. then you phone in sick, uh, uh, and yeah. there should be no questions asked about that. And I don't think there is, from, no. from what I gather, no. in airlines generally. Certainly, yeah. uh, the, the, the bigger ones here in the UK, uh, if you if you don't feel that you're able to operate the flight, mm. then you phone in sick. Um, obviously, you know, give them as much notice as they can to try yeah. and find a replacement crew, which is why you've got people on airport standby. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, yeah, things like indeed. that. So. Indeed. I wonder what happens if you're down the line. If you're, if you're uh, same story. I, I think if if you're down route and you're not fit to operate the flight back, then um, you know several things can happen. They can yeah. hotel the passengers, or they can fly another crew member yeah. out there, for example. Uh, but of course, on the longer routes, that that just takes time, doesn't it? And it does. Indeed. Time is money in aviation, as in so many other things. But so, then I think um, both you and I, Nev, yeah. would be quite happy to sit here and say. Um, you know, we would rather be delayed than have a pilot in the cockpit who isn't fit yeah. to be there, I think. I mean, I would much rather, you know, any airline and or pilot err on the side of caution if there's any doubt that they're 100% fit to be in that cockpit. Yep, and that's what they say about uh, yeah. aviation, isn't it? It's it's safety first. Absolutely. All the airlines say that. So. Indeed, indeed. Yes. <clears throat> okay. Well, talking of uh, places far away. <laughs> yeah, quite, absolutely. Uh, now, I'm not sure, quite sure how to pronounce this uh, uh, airline. Are, are you familiar with it, Nev? Vietjet. Vietjet, okay. All right, well, yes. we'll go with that. And apologies mm. uh, in advance if we have got it wrong. We haven't got John <laughs> in our ears who would immediately correct us because I have no doubt he'll know all about it. Uh, simpleflying.com is the source and it's Vietjet launches Airbus A330 Perth route with zero dollar airfares yes you heard me right oh. this week has started well for Western Australia air travelers with Singapore Airlines and Vietjet announcing more flights between Perth and Southeast Asia while Singapore Airlines is ramping up its existing route to daily flights it is with it is the arrival of Vietjets that will cause the most excitement with Vietjets first Australian flight from Ho Chi, uh, Ho Chi Minh City Ho Chi Minh Ho Chi Minh sorry uh, Ho Chi Minh City uh, touched down in Melbourne in April. It was a relatively unknown brand down under. A week later, Viet Vietnam's largest private airline began flying to Sydney and in July started the first ever direct flights between Brisbane and Vietnam. The Melbourne and Sydney flights have proven so successful that Vietjet is increasing the frequency from three flights a week to daily in December, with Brisbane going to three times weekly. Vietjet is now announced it has now announced it will become the first airline to operate direct flights between Perth and Ho Chi Minh City. 
The service will commence on the 21st of November with an initial frequency of two flights weekly. The new route means that Vietjets is now offering bookings on 38 flights per week between Australia and Vietnam. The people of Perth will need to be need to quickly grasp that booking with Vietjets on a Wednesday, Thursday and Friday brings the cheapest fares. To celebrate launching the route, the airline is offering $0 tickets, excluding taxes and fees of course from now until the end of December the 31st 2023 but they must be booked between <laughs> between midnight and 23:59 on Wednesday, Thursday or Friday. Vietjet also offers $0 fares on flights to Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane per the above conditions and with a flight period from August the 10th to March the 31st 2024. They must be booked by Vietjet's website or or the Viet Air Vietjet Air mobile app. It also has frequent flyer loyalty programs, SkyJoy, free SkyCare insurance, and other incentives on offer. I mean, zero. Mm. I mean, not ideal for us, obviously, because we'd have to get to Vietnam first. I'm just uh, thinking that the phone lines <laughs> might be a bit jammed, or, or the or their you know internet service provider might be a bit jammed during that period. Of time. Yes, indeed. I mean, I don't think it would matter what size of load balancer you had on your web server. Uh, I, I think yeah. it's going to you know not be able to disp- you know deliver everything that's required. <laughs> mm. Well. You know, zero dollar, that's a good number in my book. It is, yeah. it is. Uh, as I say, the only downside for us, Nev, is obviously we've got to get to Vietnam first. Um, yeah, I haven't I mean, that, thought that through. That, like, that could yeah. spoil things a little, no. I fear. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is an interesting one. It is, uh, I love it's this. It's on the aerotime.aero, and it says that Royal Mail launches drone service to deliver mail to Orkney. Well, remote communities in the Orkney Islands, in the far north of Scotland, have become the first in the United Kingdom to be offered a drone-based mail delivery service. The trial run will initially be for three months, but could be prolonged if successful. The service is operated in collaboration with Skyport Drone Services and will use DLV2 drones made by Speedbird Aero, a Brazilian air mobility solutions developer. The small unmanned aircraft are able to carry parcels of up to six kilos. Mail will be flown from Stromness on the western side of Orkney's main island to the neighbouring islands of Hoy and Gremsey where it will be delivered to the final recipients by the local post office. The pioneering project is supported by Connected Places Catapult appropriate name for this isn't it (laughs) an accelerator of urban and regional development and mobility innovation projects and has also received funding from the Department of Transport's Department for Transport's Freight Innovation Fund. One of the project's aims, in addition to the potential benefits and emission reductions, is to act as proof of concept for a broader use of unmanned aircraft in mail and parcel delivery. Orkney has emerged as one of the UK's test beds for new aeronautical concepts, not just in the field of drone development, but also as a base for testing several different low emission aviation concepts. Well, drones and mail delivery. Mm. 
Now, Orkney, uh, as in the case of many of the small islands and highlands in the Scotland, does suffer from poor weather conditions it does, at times yeah. as well. So I'm wondering how that, that's going to work. But um, I've, I've gone from being highly sceptical about all of this sort of thing to being quite interested in it now. Because Very if they so. can make, actually make this work, mm. um, then there's, there's a lot of possibilities, I think, isn't there? So, Except I mean, for, obviously, with the, yeah. with the old job, um, the, you know, the, the, the wine company, we did used to actually deliver to most of the aisles. Uh, in Scotland, in fact, in fact, I think it was virtually all of it. Jersey was literally, I think, the only place where we didn't deliver to. Yeah. Um, uh, so it was the Orkney Islands, it was the uh, the Scilly Islands, Scilly Isles. It was um, uh, all of them, basically. Um, mm. What's the other? The not Skegness. That's that's on the main, <laughs> mainland. But um, what am I, Shetland Islands? That's where yes. I was going with that. Uh, and w one of the problems there is. So I mean, obviously, we used to have to give a very generous delivery window, shall we say, for mm. that, because um, it would it would leave our courier and go with the third party party courier literally over the water and. Um, it, for example, if it was going to the Shetland Islands, uh, weirdly, we never had any problems with deliveries there because they knew that all of their deliveries, no matter when they ordered them, um, you know, if they ordered it on the... Uh, if they ordered it on the Wednesday, it wouldn't come till the following Friday. And they just knew that that's when the boat was coming to bring everything from the mainland, essentially. So, mm. I mean, six kilograms is not a lot, let's be honest. Um, no. So, you know, you're talking very, very light parcels. Obviously, if it's a case of wine, it's going to need to be essentially a helicopter, I think, is probably the yeah. thing. But this is definitely a step in the right direction, isn't it? You know, mm. and I guess all yes. you need is a postmaster at the other end to receive the item and then it can enter the network. If you, if they're, yes, they're you see, the island. where I've got this thing wrong in the past, I think, is the thought of drones turning up in your back garden. I don't think that's the plan, is it? Not and yet. then the thing being attacked by the dog. No. Now, clearly, <laughs> this is not good. the intention here, no. is it? No, indeed. I think it's literally to just... Well, and also, uh, with the Orkney Islands, for example, it, it, it's quite a short hop. You know, yeah. from you know mainland, if you like, to uh, so from the Highlands, I think it is, isn't it, where it goes from mm. there across to to Orkney. And it's a relatively short hop, one which I could do in even my drone. You know, if you see what I mean, it's quite a short. You know, yeah. Um, but of and, course, all highly reliant on GPS, isn't it? Very so much so. Yes. If and that ever had a problem, that's yes. it's in the, the water, isn't it? Yeah, it's in the water. <laughs> that's essentially it. And also, um, I mean. The other thing I would say is that is uh, my drone admittedly is only a small one with four propellers or four blades, if you want to call them, um, on that kind of thing. And it's very susceptible to the wind uh, and uh, any coastline, uh, but especially in the north, um, shall we say, it's almost certainly very windy at all times. Yeah. Uh, and this yeah. this one is a six blade thing and it's quite a beast don't get me wrong but i don't mm. i wonder how, you know what the ceiling must be quite low in terms of wind speed before it can't be used also i think pe people on the highlands and islands are, are, are used to yeah. de delays with mail and parcels and all sorts of things having said all that it took over three weeks to get a book to our good friend dirk s in Germany, yes, by using the normal postal system, yes, and yet I could get it to Canada uh, for Bill's <laughs> uh, prize in a week. Wow. So, okay. Right. 
I, I don't know how that, any of that clearly, works. But... Clearly a bit of airmail involved in at least one of them. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. <laughs> However, uh, no, Indeed. I'm going to keep an eye, uh, eye out on this because mm. I think this is a, a, an interesting and sensible use of technology. Yeah? I think they're going to get bigger. I, I think, yeah. you know, low, load bearings and stuff. And it does make, to me, it does make sense. Um, you know, as you say, you've got somebody the other side to receive it. I mean, on a good day um, and lots of batteries, you could absolutely deliver quite a few parcels, you know, in an afternoon's worth of mm. flinging it across the, the thing. Yeah. And, as, and again, with GPS data and all that kind of thing, I dare say you can virtually automate it, can't you? Where it, yeah. you hit the button and it goes over the water and drops, you know, reports if there's a problem, etc. Um, but... Um, yeah, certainly for the more remote islands and, and more remote parts of, of you know Scotland and and uh, you know well well anywhere, really. I mean, absolutely, it's the way forward. I think. Mm. Mm. We shall see, won't we? We will. Uh, now we could keep hearing about Chat GPT, don't we? I'm familiar time. with that platform. Yes. Oh dear, uh, it's it's beyond me. It really is. It was, was something... it was used once, believe it or not, to make our show notes. Oh, and we'll never know, will we? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, producer John made carried out an experiment um, to to get it to find all the stories and all that kind of thing. Um, and although he had to rewrite a lot of the stories, the content was obtained by an by by an API, basically. So how uh, about that? I well, know. This, absolutely. this next story is a slight, um, you know, variation on that, isn't mm. it? But it sounds it sounds interesting, nonetheless. Indeed, yes, absolutely. Jet.ai says Charter GPT app will boost flight bookings. There we go. It's our AINonline.com. Jet AI this week launched the Charter GPT app, which it says will harness artificial intelligence to allow consumers to use voice commands to interact with its charter booking platform. According to the Las Vegas-based software group, its use of natural language processing will make it quicker for both passengers and aircraft operators to convey information back and forth without involving a broker as the human in the loop. The Charter GPT app is due for release via the Apple App Store in the next few days with the Android release to follow in a few weeks. Jet AI plans to release an update in the fall that will support Stripe payments for flights and automatic contract reconciliation, as well as provide information on ground transportation options and airport information. The aircraft, suit of, uh, the aircraft availability data is sourced from the Avinode platform, which generates, uh, which generates estimates for requested flights. After interrogating the app over possible flight options, the user can select one or more of these with the app and then make a contact with operators to confirm pricing, which is then conveyed back to the user in the app on its checkout page. Jet AI takes a commission on any flights booked through the app. According to JetAI, many charter operators ignore inbound quotes from the Avino platform, mainly because they don't have sufficient staffing levels to deal with multiple requests, and perhaps also because they view some as frivolous or originated by rival operators trying to gain game the system. Winston told AIN that out of, say, 500 quote requests fielded in a day, only 20 might get a response from an operator. According to Jet AI, Charter's GPT's knowledge of key elements of the Charter market, i.e. aircraft operators and geography, is based on Wikipedia. Oh, dear. 
That sounds dangerous. Uh, Winston said, uh, oh, I've left the camera on you, Nev. I'm so sorry. Uh, (laughs) Winston said its uh, software team has trained the AI element of the system not to go off on tangents when responding to clients. The company has further recalibrated the system's personality after encountering some glitches during beta testing. Charter GPT is the first step in private aviation in this direction, AI and natural language processing. And the more bookings it does, the smarter it will become, Winston said. Jet AI believes the app will make the charter booking process between 10 to 50% more efficient. Hmm. Now, John's carried out some experiments here. So shall we shall we go through this in, yes. in detail? Uh, and he was yeah. saying, uh, so he's done some research on the background of this, basically. He's saying that AIN tried the Charter GPT app to prepare for a trip for two passengers from Guildford in the UK to Mon- Montepiet. Montpellier. Montpellier, my apologies, in France. In response to a voice request, the app quickly proposed flights out of Farnborough, uh, Blackbush or Biggin Hill airports, proposing 14 different jet options. After seeking lower pricing by adding turboprop aircraft as an option, the app proposed a Pilatus PC-12 aircraft. Oh, how lovely. Uh, and a provisional quote came back at around, in around 15 minutes. The provisional quote gave some information about the PC-12 offered, mentioning features such as a coffee pot, very important, uh, cl- enclosed lavatory, ice bin, leather seats, a 110-volt power outlet. Seating capacity was shown as up to six passengers with pets permitted. There you go. Uh, however, the quote provided no information about the operator beyond stating that they held an Argus uh, Platinum Safety and Quality Audit. No further information was offered uh, without having to accept the quote to reconfirm the aircraft's availability, at which point a contract and payment details would be sent via email. Pricing for this European trip was shown in US dollars and excluded local taxes and fees. Now, how do you feel about this one there i'd be interested to to hear what you think about this it's it's a bit like the, the trainline.com isn't it really um, <laughs> nothing's that bad <laughs> <laughs> oh dear um there's a lot of complexity with this sort of stuff yeah, absolutely. um the weather being one of them of mm. course um and you know when you're booking a train or, or whatever it is you don't even unless it's very extreme weather conditions, you don't even think about the weather side no. of things, do you? But when you're booking a, a, an aircraft trip like this, weather is everything, isn't it? So Agreed. I can see there's going to be possible difficulty there, uh, but also trying to work out what the price is going to be as as well. And, mm. and aircraft availability and, I don't know. But, um, you know, there must be a starting point somewhere. You, you, you've got to find a way of, of trying to do this this kind of stuff if we're going to use more and more of the regional airports for short-haul, you know, flying for a, for a few passengers. Um, so so uh, here, here's my take on it. You know how much I love technology and, and, mm. and that kind of thing. And I think I've mentioned this before, so perhaps it won't be a huge surprise to you what I'm about to say. But people still need jobs, and I do feel, by all means, use some form of AI to perhaps field calls, you know, intelligent 
properly intelligent, well-researched, well-resourced AI has the potential to have a conversation with the user to get them to the right person so that they're not passed from pillar to post. Because I know with many call centers, that's one thing that annoys all of us, let's be honest. Yeah. But we all still need jobs in call centers and things like that. And you will never get more personality than an actual human on the end of the call who's able to think outside the box. Do you know what I mean? Now, obviously, there are some agents, shall we say, who are probably worse than far worse than any AI you could put in the system, even now. Um, you know, so there'll always be that human element. But the vast majority of people who are working in these call centres know their subject matter inside out, and you can ask them a really unusual question, and they'll be able to go and find you a workable solution or answer. Um, yeah. So I, I think there is a place for AI and uh, you know gpt and all that kind of thing i do think there is a place for it absolutely but i think it should be making sure that you get to the right person to answer your query rather than trying to answer the query itself yeah and you know i've tried to cancel an avios car rental booking uh last week and it took me two days to do it okay on the phone because i kept getting put through to automated systems right yeah. And um, when I finally got through to the right person, they said, oh, no, you shouldn't be dying that number. You should be dying this number. OK, right. Uh, but no, I, I, I completely agree. Um, we do need people on the end of the phone. Absolutely. It's as simple, it's as, yeah. simple as that. Now, for, for, for the simplest of things, maybe there is a place for it, as you say. But yeah. uh, for, for this kind of situation. Oh, and they can be absolutely yeah, complex. Don't get me yeah. wrong. As I say, I mean, you can literally start the conversation with this AI of some description. Yeah. And it does a very good job of translating, if you like, what you've said to try and pick out you know the department that you actually need to go to to, in order to do that and that you know for me that would be using ai as you know something that would actually help everybody you know so it can analyze the conversation and make sure you know so it can have a like a two-way conversation to ask certain questions to help it find the right department i mean better than a press one to do this press two to do that but you can literally give it a statement of fact it will then analyze that statement of fact pick out the details it needs ask supplementary questions that are relevant to the department that you need to end up in in order to to end up where you want to end up I think that's a very reasonable uh, position, and that needs people to do it, doesn't it? It does absolutely. But and do you think m- animals could could do it as well? <laughs> I know one. I, I know one that's very good at, at escaping. If that's where we're going. Well, yeah, I'm slightly <laughs> concerned uh, about think, this. Think Houdini, I think, is the word we're looking yeah. for. <laughs> on that one mile at a time dot com, on aerotime dot aero, theguardian dot com, and news. Uh, sky.com bear escapes from crate in planes cargo as you do (laughs) at dubai airport well this incident happened uh on friday uh, of last week and involved uh, iraqi airways flight ia123 from baghdad to dubai the flight was operated by a brand new boeing 737 max 8 with the registration code yankee india Alpha Sierra Mike. The two hour and one minute flight was totally routine until after it landed in Dubai. 
when ground workers began to unload the cargo of the Boeing 737, they discovered a bear roaming around freely. The good news is that the bear was supposed to be on the flight, which is not always the case, uh, as we've seen <laughs> from time to time. Quite. Uh, but the bad news is that the bear was supposed to be in a container, so it obviously managed to escape. Um, in the video, I think, that Matt's got here, you can see a video of the cargo hold door just slightly open. And for some reason, a ground worker is even seen rubbing the bear's head. Um, the return flight from Dubai to Baghdad ended up uh, by being delayed to nearly four hours due to this ordeal. The airline and authorities in the UAE had to coordinate to sedate and then remove the bear from the cargo hold safely. Furthermore, the car cargo hold had to be inspected for any damage. Now, Iraqi Airways said that on Saturday that procedures to transport the bear were carried out in accordance with the law and with procedures and standards approved by the International Air Transport Association, IATA. The airline said that the bear was being flown from Baghdad to Dubai, but an Iraqi Airways official speaking anonymous, anonymously confirmed that the bear was instead being transported to the Iraqi capital. Now, oh, well. I... I'm not a you know expert on on weight and and balance and, and centre uh, yes. of gravity, but uh, I can only imagine what a bear wandering around the cargo hold uh, could could be doing to the aircraft's performance. I mean, it's of, the ultimate in loose cargo, isn't it? Phase of, of flight. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, it's the ultimate in loose cargo, isn't it? Uh, and the other thing that I will just I'm just going to run this video again. Now, this is a very mm. brave person who's patting the bear on the head, look, giving it a scratch. I mean that 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 that's very brave. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Actually, that that bear is not as big as I thought it was going no. to be. So, so maybe it wouldn't have had such a big effect no. on the, uh, the weight and balance of the aircraft. But uh, mm. not what you want to see when you open the. the no, yes, I, I I believe the phrase we're looking for there, Nev, uh, to coin one of your many excellent phrases, suboptimal. Yes, and can you imagine if it got out, out on, onto the apron and started? Uh, oh, I say, causing havoc. Yes, running around. That, I wonder how long it took to obviously because I mean you've got a bear who's essentially desperately trying to get out. I mean the the damage inside the 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 cargo hold. I get. I guess there's is there much cabling etc. exposed in the cargo hold of a of an aircraft? Don't know, but uh, mm. yeah, the the thought of anything being chewed yeah. through or something critical. Know, for example, yeah. you know, let's say landing gear as an example, you know, like yeah. the, the command. I mean, I'd like to think perhaps it's, you know, sort of like, you know, buried somewhere mm. that, that, you know, that, that you can't get into. But uh, yeah, yes. an interesting story, to say the least. No, exactly. Mm. Well, uh, on that uh, animal note, uh, that concludes <laughs> the commercial airline segment. It does. Uh, next up, we're going back to the National Museum of Flight of Scotland. We've got a couple more interviews to play out, actually. And um, it was such a great day out there. But, of course, we were out in the in the elements. It was a bit chilly when we went up there. And the Avro Vulcan is one of the aircraft that is stored outside in the Museum of Flight. Uh, and uh, you'll see that Carlos and I were well wrapped up for the process. <laughs> uh. Well, here's one for all the military lovers, Jonathan Warner included. Mm. It's uh, the Avril Vulcan here at the museum, uh, flown in here or brought to the museum in 1984, where it's been on display uh, since. And uh, Nev, 
it's certainly uh, showing signs of its uh, age here, bless at the well, Balkan. Well, it is, and uh, you might gather as well, it's rather chilly uh, out yes. here on the east coast of uh, Scotland. Um, but what a treat to, to come and see uh, this aircraft, unbelievable. But um, just, I've never, I don't think I've actually been up close and personal with one of these before, um, so it's first for me. No, uh, bear, I look back to uh, many years ago where we had our 100th show and me and Matt were sitting um, round about here inside the, uh, inside the Vulcan after going through the hatch which is just behind where Nev is standing there. But uh, what a piece of British history, hey Nev? Mm. Yeah, it's so great to see uh, the Vulcan here on display at the museum. And uh, yeah, it's outside, so it's obviously open to the elements, but uh, they are frantically raising, uh, I know they're raising funds to, uh, to support the restoration and uh, of the Vulcan here at the museum. But it's great to see the Vulcan bomber here. And uh, yeah, I, I think Nev, it's, um, it's one of those times when we we would have probably brought a hat and a scarf as well. Mm, and I should have brought a, a, a bigger pullover as well. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, so I do apologise for you know the company branding here, but uh, <laughs> it is quite a good jacket. So um, yeah. Yes, but, uh, but it is a bit chilly here, yeah. but uh, no, it's still good to see, mm. and uh, it's, another, it's one of the many exhibits here at the museum at the Vulcan, which is obviously on display for you to see here. Um, and yeah, it's good. It's a, it's a damn good piece of British history. Now. Yeah, the other thing to uh, bear in mind is there's an awful lot of space here at East Fortune at the museum, so it, it, it really is a great day out, actually. And honestly, looking at the admission prices, uh, it's incredibly good value as well. Um, some museums, you know, you might think are charging too much these days, but uh, the folks here, uh, I think it was adults were £14. That is, yeah, correct, like yeah. Um, which is really good, you know, really, really good value. So uh, I would highly recommend, if you're in the area, to come along. It'd be great. Great day out. So we are not far from the de Havilland Comet, which we're going to go and have a look at in just a moment. Now, looking forward mm. to that, a bit of, bit of uh, commercial yeah. aviation. Uh, so uh, from, a, from a windy blustery underneath the Vulcan here back to you in the studio I mean that does sound it does look cold and if you look like yes. you were very cold and and I don't blame you for your for your company branding there of coffee it, it was very sunny at times but boy yeah. that that east coast of Scotland that that was very windy indeed and mm. you know obviously the Avro Vulcan being outside it's uh yeah, it's it's looking its age now. A yeah, bit. So, yeah. This this yeah. is the thing, isn't it? It can't be helped, can it? And um, yeah, it's. Uh, so, what was the comment that he was referring to there? By the way, oh, we the one that we played out a few weeks ago. Actually, ah, yeah. um, so we're, we're playing it out in slightly different order of, of things. Oh, well, according to the when, when I've cut them. Basically. Yeah, <laughs> basically, um, you had time to put them and, together. Uh, yeah, there's there's a there's a comment uh, on the site there as well, which was fascinating. We did a, a walkthrough mm. of that too. So, indeed. Uh, but, uh, uh, no, it's very good. And we've got uh, uh, another one coming up from inside. Uh, oh, lovely. Pleased to say. <laughs> uh, and it could, this aircraft could not be more different from the one that you've just seen. So wow. Oh, really? Okay. To shortly. So, All right. Yeah. Then well, we've got, got a couple more stories to do in, in the world of military, and we'll get right to that, I think, Nev. Yes, this is going to be quite a lot of fun. You and I doing military. That's uh, <laughs> that's going to be hazardous, isn't it? Good luck, everyone. Here we go. <laughs> Three five fifty angels sixteen three four zero. Okay, now let's see, buddy. 
forward to this. <laughs> well, on the uh, UKAviation.news, uh, the actual headline says Logan Air gets armed forces gold standard. So we're sort of combining a bit of military and commercial on the same I knew stuff. it was too good to be true. I knew, I knew it. <laughs> Well, the uh, UK's leading uh, regional air airline, Logan Air, has become the first airline to be awarded the Defence Employer Recognition Scheme Gold Award. The UK government scheme recognises businesses for the opportunities that they provide uh, armed forces communities. Uh, Logan Air currently employs 16 people who are part of that community, and amongst them is Captain Akash Sajid, who is also an Army Reservist Private. Captain Sajid previously attended Edinburgh Castle last November to accept Logan Air's Silver Defence ERS Award. Lindsay Kennedy, Head of Human Resources at Logan Air, said, We are honoured and excited to be the first UK airline to achieve a Gold Defence Employer Recognition Scheme Award following our previous bronze and silver accreditations. We believe flying is for all and go to great lengths to be a diverse and inclusive employer. It's incredibly rewarding to be acknowledged in this way. The Minister for Defence People, Veterans and Service Families, Dr Andrew Morrison, said, I would like to thank all of the organisations that have been recognised in this year's award. I'm delighted that we have seen so many organisations recognised with a gold award and their continued support demonstrates the unique benefits and strengths that our armed forces community can bring to the workplace. To win a gold award from the Ministry of Defence, organisations must provide at least 10 extra paid days for leave for reservists and have supportive HR policies in place for reservists, veterans, uh, cadet force, adult volunteers and the spouses and partners of those serving in the armed forces. Do you know that's something I'd never thought about no. before? No, that is, that is fascinating, isn't it? Because, you know, people that have previously served or are currently serving, you know, can bring a lot to the commercial aviation Absolutely. sector as yeah. well, can't they? I mean, you've only got to look at our, our very own Armando, yeah. you know, who's, you who's, you know, obviously ex-military and all that kind of thing, brings with them a wealth of skills that, you know, perhaps you wouldn't have. I mean, you know, air-to-air -air combat is not necessarily required for commercial aviation, certainly. No, I but, think uh, if you're doing that in your PC-12, <laughs> then you're going to be uh, in trouble with the FAA. Yeah, for you, yeah. they're so. not going to be thrilled about it, certainly. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, what a great scheme and, and, and great news yeah. for, for Logan Air as well. And, uh, yeah, I, I love that. I think it's a really, really nice little story. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So on to some uh, what I would call proper military now. Yes, indeed, Thanks. and uh, it's uh, yeah a bit of a bit of a difficult one. This one, it's aerotime.aero is the source that it comes from, and basically, long story short, Belgium refuses delivery of two F thirty five fighters over technical non compliance. So Belgium will not accept the two F-35A combat aircraft which were to be delivered by the US manufacturer Lockheed Martin at the end of 2023. VRTNWS first reported the news, citing information confirmed by the spokesperson for Minister of Defence Ludwin Deonda. Uh, as a result, the Belgian defence authorities now anticipate a delay of at least six months in receiving the ordered aircraft. In October 2018, Belgium selected the Lockheed Martin F-35 Lightning II over the Eurofighter Typhoon and the Dassault uh, Raphael. 
the uh, country the country purchased a total of 34 F-35A aircraft to replace the Belgian air com- component fleet of F-16 fighters. The first of these fighters is currently in its final assembly line and is expected to be ready by December 2023. The contract that Belgium settled on with the US states that the F-35s must be delivered in the most recent modern available configuration. The F-35A is currently undergoing a major hardware and software upgrade Among other things, important computers and screens will be replaced in order to implement a series of new capabilities on the F-35A, new weapons, improved electronic warfare, etc. According to the Ministry of Defence, this upgrade is known as technology or a tech refresh 3 or also the TR3 they do love an acronym don't they Uh, and the new capabilities are referred to as block 4 in brackets upgrade essentially Uh, these make the aircraft considerably more resistant to the current modern ground and air threat both offensively and defensively each major upgrade naturally involves a significant surface certification and qualification effort requiring extensive test campaigns of more than 200 test flights and although the production of new aircraft is finally on schedule there are delays with the certification the US government is also not accepting the F-35 35 aircraft from Lockheed Martin until relevant combat capability is validated in accordance with our users' expectations. Now, I can't help but feel that Lockheed Martin have been sort of caught napping here on this because obviously yeah. they knew this was, you know, this this was obviously in the contract, um, you know, and they. I completely understand why, well, the Belgians and the US are saying, no, we're not going to have these aircraft until, you know, you've kept your part of the bargain, essentially. You'd think they'd know that at the beginning of all this or sometime during the contract period, wouldn't you? Well, Um, that's why I feel they've like been caught napping. Did they they perhaps think that that the US government and the Belgian government weren't going to notice that it was the most up-to-date hardware? (laughs) Yeah, and can you imagine the the knock-on effects? You know, from an economic point of view, Absolutely. I mean, the, the the you know the, the the margin that would go out of the aircraft mm. because of the extra work that has to be done, uh, which they presumably, I don't know whether they can charge that on to the end customer or not. I don't know, but uh, I don't think they should big, be. Uh, quite a big moment isn't it really if you think about it absolutely but also as you say i mean it's clearly in the contract that's why they're able to do that yeah so you know i'm sorry but the price they paid has has got to be honored in my book you know it it, it was sold to them with the very latest in avionics um i assume there was no clause in there saying you know the 2022 version absolutely (laughs) yeah oh damn Yes. Funny one, isn't it? I mean, neither of us, sadly, are sat here, uh, sat here at the moment, are in any way qualified to offer any kind of common. You know, all we can do is offer common sense, I suppose, in on this particular story. Yes, we can offer no expertise whatsoever. No, right? zero, literally we none. Set out to do that. No, indeed, indeed. This is where this is where we wish Armando was here, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, well, actually, this is something. Uh, this final story for the military um, actually is a good news story, and actually some some better news. In in terms of delivery what? of things. <laughs> uh, it's on aerotime.aero uh, and it says that uh, Northrop Grumman 
has successfully powered on the first flight test aircraft of the highly anticipated B-21 Raider Strategic Bomber. The event was announced by President and CEO Cathy Warden during the company's earnings call for the second quarter of 2023. Uh, she said on the B-21, we successfully powered on the f first flight test aircraft in the quarter during the call, defining as it, uh, it as, as another important milestone in our campaign to achieve first flight and transition into production. A power on indicates the moment when the aircraft's electrical power systems are activated for the first time. During the power on, engineers and technicians conduct tests to ensure that all of the electrical systems are functioning correctly and they may also check for any potential issues or malfunctions. Powering up the first uh, test aircraft represents a crucial phase ahead of the maiden flight, which is scheduled to take place before the end of this year, 2023. Six B-21 bombers are being assembled at Northrop Grumman's facility in Palmdale, California. Cathy uh, Warden highlighted new manufacturing techniques, such as the use of a digital thread to improve labour efficiency with the programme. The B-21 is expected to enter service by 2026, gradually replacing the B-2 Spirit and the B-1 Lancer strategic bombers. Unveiled by Northrop Grumman on December the 2nd, 2022, this new strategic bomber reuses some of the B-2's general characteristics with a similar sleek flying wing design. Ultimately, the US Air Force expects to operate a two-bomber fleet of B-21s and modified B-52s. It intends to order 100 B-21s, which is more than its current fleet of B-1s and B-2s combined. Now, if you ask me to um, identify like a really fancy modern looking aircraft, this for some reason is absolutely <laughs> for me. This does look like like some kind of alien um, ship. <laughs> you know, it yes. doesn't look like something that's that's uh, owned certainly by any military I'm familiar with. I mean, it's a stunning looking aircraft, isn't it? Oh, and, uh, it is, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, again, I'm asking a question here, which is where I wish we had Armando, but I, I'm assuming the particular design is one to minimise the chance of it being picked up on things like radar and stuff like that. Yes, it, it's it's very stealthy, isn't it? In, in, in that it is, respect. yeah. So, again, um, a question that neither you or I are in any way capable <laughs> and or qualified to pass comments on, but uh, it is a, a very sexy-looking aircraft. There's no two ways about it. That, that's uh, absolutely the... Uh, the way forward i think <laughs> yes now uh that's the end of the military segment but we did it now right we got the, through it right, yes we have <laughs> but right at the complete other end of the speed spectrum uh, as we go back to the national museum of flight at east fortune it's amazing some of the aircraft that you you come across one of the things that we saw there was the montgomery auto gyro and Honestly, it, it needs seeing to be believed. So let's go back there now and have a look at what we found. Now, I, tell, I don't know about you, Nev, but whenever I see one of these, it always reminds me of that Bond film. I forget which one it is. It was one of the, the early Bond films when they had um, one of these on the film itself. It's uh, auto-gyro, Nev. It reminds me of my lawnmower, actually, because that's <laughs> what the engine looks like, or very similar to, uh, to my lawnmower. I wonder if it goes any faster. And something I didn't realise until I was just reading in front of me here was that the actual, this, this isn't powered, Nev. That actual, the actual top uh, rotor is not powered. 
It is it, according according oh. to here the forward motion of the autogyro uh, uh, of its forward motion of its, when it's moving through the air actually rotates this top blade and actually keeps the aircraft in the sky. I did not know that. But, um, well, it actually, um, just reading from the, uh, the cheat sheet we've got in front of us here, in 1981, Montgomery Engineering built their first autogyro in their workshops in Ayrshire. Uh, and the aircraft was built by them in 1996 as a research aircraft for the University of Glasgow. And the space normally occupied by a second seat was used to accommodate equipment to record flight data. And the autogyro was flown from Bournemouth, Carlisle and Perth airports for student research projects. Uh, the stats are that it was, uh, there's one crew, obviously. One crew, yeah. Uh, passengers, zero. Nil. <laughs> Top speed, 70 miles per hour, which is impressive. Uh, the range, though, Nev, mm. I'm kind of worried about the range because according to our, to our cheat sheet here, it had um, not, not the greatest range, but when you look... And I'm assuming, Nev, that this here, behind us here, is the fuel tank, which is not huge, Nev. My lawnmower definitely has a better fuel tank than this autogyro, I would say. And wouldn't you think, Nev, if you're, I mean, we know what the weather's like. It's, it's sunny, it's blue sky, it's a, it's a lovely day here today at the museum, but it is chilly outside. Mm. It is chilly. Sitting there, Nev, flying around the highlands, it's going to be cold. It's going to be cold. Yes. I've just realised one other thing, by the way. Uh, here it says fuel. So I wonder if the, oh. this is actually the, the fuel tank down here. Could possibly be. Perhaps that's the brake reservoir or something like that or the power, our, our power steering. Will they you know. all know. We'll get some emails in from someone who flies oh, an autogyro who will say exactly what that is. We're not in our comfort zone here, no, as, as you can tell. Uh, but it's fascinating to see this <laughs> it's stuff, good. isn't it? It is good. But uh, yeah, Hunk's actually quite surprised. You can't see, Neville, Neville takes some shots of this in just a moment, but how well built the landing gear is on this, Nev. Yeah. It is, it's not just a, a twig, it's actually quite a substantial landing gear. And even the, you know, this is quite a substantial aircraft, even though it is, you know, it is quite a small, relatively small aircraft. Yeah. But uh, Rotax engine as well. Yes. Well, it's an impressive bit of engineering, and um, it must have been great fun to fly. But it, again, uh, if you thought the Jetstream 31 was a little bit bouncy at times, then that's nothing compared to this. Uh, nonetheless, it'd be a great aircraft to uh, to start your flying career on, wouldn't it? A cheap way of starting yeah. to fly, Definitely. actually. Yeah, yeah it would be. Um, especially as it says, it says for the cadets here in uh, Carlisle and Perth. So it is here for the uh, used mm. by the students. So yep. a good. Uh, inexpensive way of learning how to fly because I'd imagine the fuel burn on these Nev is like you say yeah. equivalent to your your Qualcast lawnmower yes uh, we mentioned the range uh, it does actually say on this sheet no, no data, data available <laughs> I think that tells you all you need to know really yes, doesn't it does it, it does but uh, yeah another great aircraft here at the museum at, uh, well it's, it's it's just full it's packed full of aircraft and definitely if you've not already been here before I know it's, it's quite a long way to come I suppose for our listeners in, mm. in uh, well especially where I'm, where, where I'm from on the east coast of the UK but even for our listeners from far or further afield but it's still well worth coming here there's tons to see and it's, it's quite a pleasant airfield as well, isn't it? Great. Absolutely really well kept airfield. Very, very yeah. nice indeed. Anyway, onwards, let's, uh, let's yes. go and see some more. 
Right, okay. I mean, I have a lot to unpack here. Uh, so, um, so the forward mo- so the 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 rotor blades if you like so it, i mean first of all it looks like a helicopter essentially it's not is that Correct. is that right yes. okay so yeah. what looks like rotor blades uh, of which there appears to be no discernible gearbox obviously because it's not powered essentially they spin as a result of the forward momentum of what's behind so i i i guess then it like runs down a runway rather than just like lifts off essentially correct yes right yes. okay uh <laughs> okay i've got a headache um i mean it, it, it looks utterly lethal that's all I <laughs> yeah I, just, um, I remember back in the day i think we're, we're going back even before your time here possibly okay uh, where uh john noakes of blue peter that was a uh, <laughs> Well, here's what I made earlier. It's Tracy Island all over again for, for, isn't the, it? Yeah. for the kids. He actually went up in one of these things. Did he? I'm, I'm sure back in the the late sixties or early seventies, and it looked absolutely frightening. Um, but um, yeah, well, imagine buying an electric car. You know, one of those Teslas or something like that, <laughs> ah, right. and it says range no data available. You, you okay. wouldn't bother with it, would you? And you know, this is what it says on this. <laughs> On the placard that we were reading off um, in the museum, there, but um, <laughs> as a piece of engineering, I think it's magnificent. A stunning uh, piece of engineering, absolutely. All, but as you say, an, air, an aircraft that doesn't, uh, you know, sort of yeah. like, you know, I mean, to be fair, there are many electric cars that that could probably boast zero range. Uh, so, well, yeah, <laughs> so indeed, it's uh, what an utterly fascinating piece of kit. I love that. Yes, and is that our last piece now? From- it is. That concludes Aww. our visit to the museum up there. Um, fabulous, you know, really, yeah, really yeah, enjoyed yeah. it. We've uh, brought yeah. you some nice segments from there, a couple of interviews uh, as well, um, and all the staff and, and the people that run the place. You packed an awful lot in, didn't you? In, we in, did, that, in just in that one, sort of, one yeah, day, one afternoon, well, less than wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, one yeah, afternoon, so basically. Yeah, we had to crack on with it because uh, yeah. Carlos had stuff to do in the evening as well. I had to get yeah. a, uh, on, on to, I had to get a flight Stunning. back. Later yeah. on, so yeah, no, but highly no, recommended as a place to visit. Yeah, so it's the National Museum of Flight at East Fortune, just uh, southeast of Edinburgh. Love it, love it. Now it's competition time, Nev. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yes. Now, um, so firstly, um, the the question from last week was, which aircraft is the longest continuously produced military model for over six decades? See, I'm getting into the military again. I'm in in, in an area (laughs) where I shouldn't be fiddling around with, but, you know. Twice in the same show, Nev, it really won't do. So so the question was, which aircraft is the longest continuously produced military model for over six decades? The answer, of course, is the Lockheed Hercules C-130. Oh, of course. And yes, 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 yes. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah. I, I yeah, could have yeah. told you that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. So it's time to dive into the hat. Um, and let's see who we pick out. Right, here we go. Right. Uh, this week's winner is James Graves Brown. Well done, James. Brilliant. And the... the, uh, the um, prize is this book here it's the milestones of flight from the smithsonian national and air and space museum the epic of aviation 
uh, with the National Air and Space Museum. Quite a heavy book, so mm. a bit of extra postage required. Oh, no. <laughs> so I'm going to send you an email, James. I'm going to ask you for your uh, address, and I will send that out to you. Absolutely. Forthwith. absolutely. Now, you say, because this is one, one from your own personal collection. Yes, it um, is. Yes, and I've, I've dusted it off. Yeah, especially. indeed. And you said you, mm. you know, you, you've read it a few, co- a few covers. So any, any yeah. highlights? Uh, that you can oh, recommend. I mean, plenty. I mean, I think the uh, the, the the thing that always amazes me is mm. um, the the speed of progression of this kind of aviation. Really? I mean, this is mainly military, obviously. Yeah. Um, but there's some, there's some some civil stuff in here as well. But honestly, the the, the speed at which uh, aviation has occurred yeah. uh, is is mind blowing, really. So Absolutely. Uh, that was, it gives a good timeline of of how things happened and, and when they happened. Yeah. From well. a great museum as well, isn't it? You know, oh, from, from the Smithsonian. Yeah, I wish indeed. I could go back there again. Yeah, but next time Absolutely. I'm in yeah. at neck of the woods, I shall do that. When we win the lottery, that, Nev, um, we will. That's one yeah. of our last books, actually. Um, what? I'm going to get some more books soon, hopefully, uh, from our chums at Grub Street Publishing. Yeah. So if you're listening, folks, I could do with a couple more. <laughs> Giveaway, yes, please. Uh, yeah, yeah, get them on the way. Yeah, there we go. Well, Nev, we, we've we've successfully reached the end. I know, I know. Yes. We're very proud of ourselves, aren't we? Really, considering Although, it's, I must it's, say, the only thing that's been lacking, yes. uh, possibly, is a, a live chat room, yes, absolutely, to, to respond Indeed. to because we yeah. do like that, we uh, do very much so. So, so, yes, yeah, so once again, sincere apologies that today's uh, episode has had to be recorded. It was for essentially complicated reasons involving everybody's schedule, but we were very keen to make sure we put something out. out. Uh, our thanks, as always, to everybody who's in, been involved in putting uh, the show together, especially to uh, producer John and Nick as well, who've been working hard behind the scenes. Our thanks to Armando, as always, for putting together some great military stories, uh, as always. Uh, Hopefully he'll be back on the show sometime again very, very soon. We do miss him when he's not here. Carlos will hopefully be back in the chair uh, next week, all being well. Hopefully we'll all be back to normal next week, fingers crossed. Uh, in the meantime, of course, if you want to contact us, uh, you'd have to do that by now, but I shall recap yeah, on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Just look for us, uh, Plain Talking UK. The WhatsApp number is plus 44-757-224-9166. WhatsApp is plus 44-757-224-9166. You can email the show at podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and our website, of course, is all the W's, plaintalkinguk.com. You can look up, up on YouTube as well. And this is how you get into the chat room as well. Just go to youtube.com and look for Plain Talking UK. If you look at our website, you'll see the ability for you to donate to us as well uh, on the Patreon system or by PayPal. And that helps us keep the studio costs running uh, sensibly. Um, and server fees and, and all sorts of bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Indeed. So, that's uh, that's all. Yeah, that is Indeed. it. Indeed. So um, obviously, bearing in mind this will be going out on Friday, what have you got to look forward to next week, Nev? What's in your itinerary for next week? Well, um, a bit more travelling, uh, hopefully with a, a round uh, left-hand wheel on my car. L- lovely. Like a, right. Not a hexagonal. <laughs> Always one, helpful, yes. Have at the moment. <laughs> hopefully by the time this goes out, it will have been fixed as well. Yes. So and the fingers crossed for you, Nev, yes. Uh, but uh, no, it's a very busy time at work at the moment. Normally, August is a bit quieter, but of course, a lot of people are on holiday. So the people that aren't on holiday, 
like me yes. uh, get shoved all the all the work in but you know right okay i mean but they they, they, they like to keep you busy nev that's the yes thing. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not complaining at all i'm very much enjoying it and what about you what's your, what's your plan for next uh week? so as this goes out uh i will be at the old buckingham balloon festival oh Indeed, and I'm there all weekend, basically. So I'm there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, if you're watching this on the Friday, uh, which is when the YouTube version of the show will be released, um, I will actually be live via the radio. So if you are interested, if you look up parkradio.co.uk, you'll be able to listen to me at 7am, hopefully broadcasting live from the Old Buckingham Balloon Festival. Um, and uh, that's a Saturday and Sunday. And I've never been, I've genuinely never been and seen, um, like I've seen hot air balloons in the sky, but I've genuinely never seen them close up. Uh, I'm so, so excited about being there all weekend. Well, it's... I'm excited, but I also hope that the weather behaves itself. Because again, yeah. not being... A aviation expert but um yep, hot air balloons do require very still air they do and they? so i just moment, hope that the weather is sensible yeah at the moment looking at the forecast for this weekend coming it's certainly a heck of a lot better than it was last weekend Good. um we do have very very low winds at the moment as in uh 10 miles an hour or less currently being forecast so there is a good chance that some flying will hopefully take place i cannot wait there's going to be over ten thousand people on site there uh, listening to me doing a breakfast really? show which i'll be honest with you is slightly terrifying well that, i was uh, going to say that is more terrifying than the you know, <laughs> ballooning part absolutely and on yeah. friday uh, you'll have missed it obviously it will be clipped up and stuff but on friday uh, james who does his 80s obsession show uh, he says plugging park radio but i'm actually going to using the technology that i have at my disposal mostly thanks to uh, plane talking uk i've got to be brutally honest um <laughs> we are going to attempt for james to do his 80s obsession music show um from a hot air balloon that is going to be taking off and flying over old buckingham attleborough and dis oh my word so I'm very excited about the technical challenge involved. That obviously I'll be playing the records down on deck, but hopefully the presenter will be in a hot air balloon. Uh, well, if you'll pardon the show. pun, that's uh, pushing the envelope, isn't it? It is pushing the envelope. In, I, I mean, you you know me, Nev. I don't like to do. Th I don't like to give myself an easy life. <laughs> <laughs> so absolutely so we've got everything crossed that the 4g technology that i'm planning to use will hold up uh, in order to get me a zoom signal basically back to the laptop that's how i'm going to be doing it but no, uh, i'm looking forward to this yeah, yeah. absolutely well, it's going to be, be a, fascinating, a fascinating yeah. technical uh challenge if nothing else and um, we're mm. obviously going to take lots of videos and stuff i will absolutely be sharing some of them with you on next week's show but uh, yeah so i've got a pretty full-on intense and awesome weekend to look forward to and as you can tell from my face and something involving aviation and i'm genuinely excited yeah brilliant well i said hope the weather's nice for you me too have a great time and yeah. all the tech works as you would wish it yes there is that yes the old satellite the old peter uk satellite has been giving a dusting uh i think what was it probably i think the last time must have been a couple of years three years before the pandemic it you was, know so it, yeah. it took me a little while to get all the codes and everything to get it activated and up and running yeah. so yeah oh, that's great fingers it's crossed great. yeah fingers crossed for that yeah, yeah definitely indeed definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you stuff. well it's been a great uh great uh, hour and a half hour and three quarters or so yeah. and thank you very much indeed for tuning in again this week we're back with a live show uh next friday at seven o'clock in the evening so hope to see you then say goodbye matt and we'll, uh, goodbye matt uh, see you then. <laughs> take care see you bye <laughs>